Thank you, Alex. Good morning, everyone. How are you doing? Awesome. I got one awesome and one great and a lot of silence. Just silence. Always wonderful. Um, so, I, I, you know, my wife tells me that, like, I, I, I won't ever say I'm angry. She, she gets on to me for this because I am angry, uh, but I'll always be like, no, I'm not angry. I'm frustrated or I'm not angry. I'm, I'm just, a, you know, a little annoyed or whatever. I always have to, like, soften it somehow. I can't just say, you know, what I'm feeling. I have to have some other word that I use instead of just expressing how I feel. Um, and, and I was thinking about that concept, like, do you know how you have all these conflicts all the time? Now, I knew if I said that, you would be sitting there saying, no, 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 I don't have conflicts all the time, but you do, you do. Uh, and it's over all kinds of crazy things, like, for example, and it's, it maybe doesn't actually rise to the level of, like, an argument, so you probably wouldn't call it a conflict, but I, I, I don't want to show a hands because this could, like, dredge up a whole thing here, but how many of you disagree with the way your spouse loads the dishwasher? Well, it's a crazy thing, and I, I realize that there's two ways to load a dishwasher. One is like a normal, sane human being, and the other is like a crazy person, right? I won't tell you which one I am, but there's just, it's like, it's just like when you're, when you, when you're unloading it, you're like, why did that, they load it this way? Why did they do this? Like, and it's not a clash, like it, it doesn't, it's not a conflict, it doesn't like end in an argument, but you're sitting there in your mind, right? You're going through the rationale and the reason, and you're looking up Google websites, sites like this is how you properly load a dishwasher and you're sending emails and stuff like nobody else okay I don't do that either but I'm just saying there are these things that kind of like they're just these constant little like little clashes and and the way the the the, the language of scripture it would use the language of like it's like a clash of kingdoms and so there's, there's the kingdom of how to properly load a dishwasher, and then there's the kingdom of how to just throw dishes in the dishwasher so they don't get clean. And it's this clash of kingdoms. Like, it's, this, it's just this little, tiny, little conflict, and we have these all the time. When you come to a four-way stop, you're having a little clash of kingdoms because you're trying to figure out who was here first, who has the right to proceed. That person wasn't here. I need to go. And if they go, I might honk or I might just pull out just a little bit to let it. I don't do any of these things. I'm observing you guys. This is not me. It's not con confession time. Or how about, like, driving is such a good example for this kind of thing, but, like, how about getting honked at? Like they are, another person is exerting their power, their little kingdom. You have occupied my space in my kingdom of the road and they honk at you and you're sitting there like, who are you? By what authority do you honk at me? Why do you have the authority to like exercise your kingdom rights over that area of the road? And so we all, we all have these all the time over all kinds of little things. And they're just small. Most of them are a little small. Most of them we just kind of go through our day. It's not that big of a deal. But they're just all little sorts of things. Like how many of you uh, have ever taken issue with the way your spouse chews a certain kind of food? Does that ever happen? My wife has tried to secretly record me eating potato chips because she says, like, it's so loud. How is it so loud? It's just, just this little tiny clash of kingdoms. This this little tiny clash of kingdoms. And I think, I think having that idea in our, our minds, like there are areas in our lives where we want to exercise absolute control. And when someone comes into our lives and imposes some sort of different thing, it causes this little tiny conflict. 
We all have these kingdoms. And if you're wondering where these kingdoms are in your life, just think about the areas of your life that kind of have the most sort of conflict or frustration or anger or whatever you want to call it. That's how you find these areas. Bingo, that's where your like area of wanting to exercise like eminent domain is. Where is that little clash of kingdom? And so the way we react to these tells us a lot, of a lot about ourselves. The way we react to these little conflicts, these little arguments, just these little things, the way people do things versus the way that we want them done, it tells us a lot about ourselves. Who's in charge in this area of my life? Who is right? Who is king of our little kingdoms? And the reason we're using the concept of kingdom is because this is a concept that Jesus came to talk about, but it was so different than the, the idea of kingdom that people were personally aware of that it just, it just broke all the categories. And he was talking about the way you live your life, the way you pursue happiness, the way that you interact with others. These are all about what the kingdom is and what you're doing in, within this kingdom. And so sometimes the way we react in those situations isn't about that one moment, it's about the history and the baggage and everything that kind of comes to bear on that one moment. So we're in this series called King and Kingdom, and the whole series is about this idea of, of Jesus came to proclaim the kingdom. And, and we just can't get too far away from that idea, because if we get too far away from that idea, we're missing the point about who Jesus said he was. He said, I am here, repent the kingdom is at hand. That was his whole message, and he just went everywhere telling that message, telling people how to live in the kingdom. That was just the whole thing. And so it was calling people to live in this completely different way, but if we forget that, or if we miss that, or if we try to understand Jesus outside of that, we're just missing the point. We're just not going to understand who he is, and what he was about, and what he wanted. And So he was saying, you're, it's as if you're living in a different country with different rules and different customs and a different culture. That's what it's going to be like to follow me in this kingdom. That's what it's going to be like. And so inevitably, our desires, our lifestyle, our choices, our thoughts, our wants are going at some point are going to come into conflict with the kingdom of God. The way we want to live is going to come into conflict with the way that Jesus is asking us to live in the kingdom. At some point in our lives, that's going to happen. And I would probably argue that happens pretty regularly, probably most days, most weeks. The things that we want out of life are going to come in conflict with, conflict with the things that God is asking us to do, the kingdom life that Jesus is asking us to live. That's what's going to happen. So what we need to ask ourselves is how do we react when our kingdom clashes with the kingdom of God. How do we react when our kingdom clashes with the kingdom of God? I think this is a great question because I think most of us will answer that pretty quickly like, well, I just go with whatever God says. I just go with whatever Jesus says. And we would say that, but if we were to analyze our lives, hmm, I don't know. That, that's really what's going on. I think we find some, some ways to justify and work around and Make ourselves feel like we're doing better. So what if Jesus, what Jesus asks of us clashes with what we want? What if our greed clashes with the call to be generous, right? What if our grudges clash with forgiveness? What, what do we do? How do we react when the kingdom, our kingdoms clash with the kingdom of God? All right. So that's what we're going to talk about. And uh, in, we're going to read a story. Jesus told the story. I mean, that's pretty much all he did. But he told this one story. That was so intense that at the end of the story, just a short little story, the people to whom he was speaking decided that this guy had to go. And it's a story, a story Jesus made up, a fictional story that as he got to the end of it, the people that heard the story realized it was about them and that this guy had to go. He had to be arrested. He had to be killed. That's an intense story, right? 
You imagine, you imagine if I could tell you a story that made you want to arrest me and kill me? I, maybe we could work something up, but I don't want to think about it too much. That's pretty wild. So we want to talk about that story. And what we're seeing is we're seeing the kingdom of God clash with the kingdoms of this world in people's lives. And we're going to see the reactions that people had when those things came into conflict. But before we get there, we have to do just a little work in the background to help us understand why this story was so intense. Because if we just read it, you would walk away saying, I don't get why they were so upset. So we're going to do just a little work in the background to help us understand the depth of what Jesus was talking about. All right. So we're looking in this work, we're looking in this series at the final week of Jesus' life leading up to his death. So he's come into Jerusalem. You remember Bruce talked about last week. He came into Jerusalem on a donkey, fulfilling prophecy, a whole thing. People were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You remember all this, right? He comes into Jerusalem. Now Jerusalem, right at this particular point, history tells us that Jerusalem was celebrating their independence day. Their Independence Day, it's one of the three major holidays, huge holiday. They called it the Passover, but it's their Independence Day. Now, you guys, of course, know what the Passover is. Even if you don't know what the Passover is, you know what the Passover is because our popular culture has, keeps making movies about it. We got lots of movies about uh, the Passover. Let me show you some posters here. So you can go all the way back, even if you haven't seen a movie in the last 60 years, You've seen or heard of the Ten Commandments, right? Charlton Heston, let my people go, right? You've seen that. Special effects just blew people away when it came out. But they keep, amens for special effects, but they keep making movies about this. And so you have the Prince of Egypt. So if you grew up, you know, if you remember being a kid and want, this is the same story. It's the story of God saving his people out of uh, Egypt, Prince of Egypt. So you got Charlton Heston. Any pop quiz? Does anybody know who voiced Moses in, in Prince of Egypt? Whoa, nice. Extra bonus points right there. Val Kilmer. All right. And then more recently, you have this uh, Exodus Gods and Kings, right? Christian Bale. There's a real uh, Batman uh, connection there, I guess, in, in, in a few of these. But they keep telling this story, the same story of God freeing his people from, from uh, Egypt, Egyptian oppression. And then God said, as he did this, in the Bible, you can read this, God said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to remember every single year with a giant party the fact that I freed you from slavery. And here's how you're going to party. It's going to take a week. I want you to do all these things. There's these sacrifices. There's all this stuff that he lined out for them to celebrate this party. And so during the Passover, people poured into Jerusalem from all over the world. Hebrew people celebrating their freedom. I've got a picture. This is a recent picture, and this is people just in Jerusalem at the, uh, the western wall of the foundation of the temple. But this gives you a sense of what it might have been like to be in Jerusalem during the Passover. We don't have really good population numbers. I love population data for some reason. I just love knowing like how many people are in a place. Um, <clears throat> but the best we can do, the best guess people have is that during the time of Christ, there would have been about 60,000 people in Jerusalem, 60,000. So it's maybe a little smaller than Woodbury. Of course, it would have been much more densely packed. And then during the Passover, they estimate that there would have been 250,000 people that came in. People were everywhere. I mean, they would have been camping out in alleys. They would have been hanging out windows. I mean, you can imagine the lines for the coffee shops were just crazy. Everything was gone from the grocery stores. I mean, it just would have been wild. So many people just packed in. And what are they all there to celebrate? Their freedom from an oppressive leader. 
from Pharaoh, from Egypt, their freedom from being owned by someone else, from being uh, overcome by someone else. Wow, that would, have been, that, would have been a, that would have been a moment to see that. That would have been something else to see that. But I want you to imagine, people everywhere, think New Year's Eve in Times Square, <clears throat> but were the Hebrew people in the first century free? No. So here they are having this huge celebration, celebrating their Independence Day from an evil oppressor, and they are being oppressed by Rome at this moment. Imagine what it would have been like to celebrate the 4th of July in an, if you were in occupied territory. I mean, imagine that. Imagine how like embarrassing it would have been to have these huge crowds there to celebrate God's power and God's might, and yet you've got soldiers, Roman soldiers on every street corner keeping an eye on you. I mean, just a friendly reminder, we, uh, you are not actually free. In fact, when, uh, when the Hebrew people would celebrate these holidays, the Roman Empire would actually call up their version of the National Guard and they would just pump soldiers into the town because they knew things could get wild and out of hand. And so you just imagine all this tension, man. You guys may remember, if you've been here long enough, back in 2008, we had a major uh, American political party that held their convention in St. Paul. And I don't know if you remember the news back at the time, but just, just by virtue of people disagreeing about politics, it just brought out just everybody. There were protesters. Does anybody remember this? I decided I wanted to go down and see what was going on just to, just to check it out. At one point, I was at this intersection down near the Capitol, and there was a guy, and I'm, I'm not making this up because these are weird details to make up. There was a guy on a unicycle going in circles around this intersection with a megaphone. I don't remember what he was protesting, but he was getting everybody to shout. And I'm just like, it's really hard to take your point seriously when you're riding around on a unicycle. It's just something about the unicycle undermines whatever it is that you're trying to say. Just, it was just protesters are weird. It's all weird. Uh, I have a picture. This is an actual picture from 2008. I thought this was a little ironic. <clears throat> I mean, if you want peace, of course, the only thing you can do is riot, right? That's the only thing you can do. But protesters, right? But just imagine the palpable tension in the air, in moments like that, and you have a picture of what it would have been like for Jesus to come into Jerusalem during the Passover, the tension. In fact, this is true. I, I went back to do like just a little like catch up on what happened during the convention. There were 300 people, almost 300 people arrested at a march for peace during the convention. And I'm like, how, how do you get arrested? So you read a little further. They were arrested for being violent. And I'm like, I, I don't, <laughs> I think you're missing the point of the peace thing, that some, something doesn't fit there. But the atmosphere is tense. And into that atmosphere, understand when we read the Bible, man, we are reading something just unbelievable. Into that atmosphere strolls Jesus and he says, the king is here. The kingdom is here. Do you imagine how that would have landed for people? Whoa, whoa. This isn't just like some guy out in a cornfield talking crazy. This was intense. This was real. This mattered. What he said mattered. People responded. You remember we talked about this a couple weeks ago. They didn't kill Jesus because he was bringing good advice. They killed him because he was declaring his authority over everything. I am the king. That's what he was saying when he rode in on the back of a donkey. I have brought the kingdom. Here we are. Here we are. 
Man, when we think of Jesus as this meek, mild guy, we are missing who he said he was, at least. Wow, he was something else. And if that's not enough, there's more gasoline to throw on this fire, right? If this doesn't, like, freak you out a little bit, and you're like, wow, that would have been tense, Jesus. Wow, that would have been just a crazy scene to, to walk into. There's more. All right? Okay, so Jerusalem is jam-packed with people. People just everywhere. There's no vacancy. There's no nothing. Just people every street corner, everywhere. All this stuff is going on. Well, one of the things that they do during the Passover is that they get together in the morning in the temple courts. Of course, it's no longer there. Can't have a picture of it. They get together in the temple courts, and they would read this section of the Psalms called the Hallel. And it was Psalm 113 through Psalm 118. And I, we don't have a, an exact account of what they did, but I believe they had the Levitical priests, and they'd be on the steps of the temple, and the Levit- Levitical priests would shout out one part of this psalm, and this crowd, this throng of hundreds of thousands of people would respond with their part of it. And you can imagine, I, I don't know if the last time, you know, like just, there was a moment that you experienced and it kind of gave you goosebumps, you know what I'm talking about? The, uh, earlier this week, um, my first grader, Liam, is, uh, he, we, were, we were riding to school, and we, you know, I always play, I always try to play some pump-up music in the car on the way to school, stadium jams, you know, whatever they introduce the Timberwolves to, like, you know, just get them all excited and wound up for school. And, uh, <clears throat> not always, but, but often. And uh, Liam said, hey, can, can you play, and this is what he asked, I know I'm not making this up, some of you are going to think, it's one of those stories. Liam said, can you play in the Hall of the Mountain King? Now, many of you may not know what that is, but I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, man, that is some classic music that rocks. You should, you should crank it on the way home. Edvard Grieg, man, this guy is just like, it is so intense. And he's learning about this in first grade at his school. I was like, that's so cool in the Hall of the Mountain King. That's so cool. So we are cranking this thing on the way to school. You know, like, it's classical music, but it, you, can, you can seriously rock out to this, uh, this song. It is awesome. And it, like, I'm just listening to it, and I'm like, oh, I'm getting pumped up myself. You know, goosebumps, chills, that whole thing. Like, oh. This is so exciting. And I imagine it was something similar to that. Just that you were there and you were reciting this psalm with hundreds of thousands of other believers. You were celebrating your independence with all these other people. And you can just imagine the moment. I think it would have been like a chills-inducing moment. And so what I, what I want to do is I want to, this is a super long introduction, I get that, and we're going to make a short application at the end of this, but what I want to do is I want to read a section from these psalms, from this Hallel that they were reciting during the Passover, okay? This is Psalm 118. I can't do it justice, and I'm not going to shout it out or anything like that, but I just want you to imagine throngs, hundreds of thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people reciting this, all there to celebrate their independence. Psalm 118, verse 6. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? And you can imagine the people were there saying that, probably looking out of the corner of their eye at the Roman soldiers, right? Roman soldiers probably didn't speak Hebrew, but if they did, they would be getting a little nervous. What can you, the Lord is with me, what can mere mortals? And I'm sure everybody glanced over at the soldiers. Verse 7, the Lord is with me. He is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies, Roman soldiers. Man, these are stirring up something in the people. The lyrics get better. Look at this, verse 10. All the nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. Can you imagine what this is welling up inside of the crowd as they were chanting this? 
Verse 11, they surrounded me on every side, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. And you're like, whoa, these are some lyrics, man. They're not any worse than what we say to our kids, rockabye baby in a treetop. When the bow breaks, the cradle will fall. They're not any worse. They're just like, they're, they're lyrics of getting people pumped up about God and God's power and God's might over his enemies. Wow, I will cut them down. Jump down to verse 21. I want you to see this, this interesting transition. So I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. For some of you, that starts to spark a little bit. I've heard that verse before. How do I know that verse? The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is verse 24. Verse 25, Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Wait a second. I've been paying attention. Where have I heard those words before? Oh, yeah. When Jesus was riding into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, the crowds were shouting these very words to him. In fact, if you go to the next slide for me, Psalm 118, Lord, save us, is literally Lord, Hosanna. That's what the word is. Lord, Hosanna, to the Son of David. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You see what Jesus was doing? Jesus was living out the Hallel. Jesus was living out this song that they all knew. He was like a script. It was rolling out in front of the people that God has sent his king, and here he is. Wow, what a moment. What a moment. Wow, I, I, I think about this and I'm just like, oh, this is just unbelievable. All right, let's jump forward to Matthew chapter 21. We're warping in time to Matthew 21. This is Jesus. He's had people shouting this hallel at him as the king. So Jesus entered the temple courts. That's where everybody was gathered to recite that. And while he was teaching, the chief priests... And the elders of the people came to him. Ah, oh, they always do. You always got to have a bad guy, and it's always these guys. The chief priests and the elders. If you want to do some interesting research, try to look up why there were chief priests, not just one. There should have been just one, but that's very interesting history. Um, by what authority are you doing these things? Who put you in charge? They asked, who gave you this authority? It's a clash of kingdoms. Here is Jesus come to proclaim the kingdom of God and here are these people that think that they've got it all figured out and they don't like what Jesus is threatening in them and it's a clash of kingdoms. Who do you think you are? And he tells this just super cool little story and at the end of this story he says to them and you could not have written a statement that was more insulting to the chief priests and rulers but he said to them, Jesus said to them, truly I tell you the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. <gasps> Shot through the heart, man. That was brutal. Remember, there's huge crowds around him. Jesus is saying this in front of people. They would have been so steamed at him. They would have been so steamed. And this is verse 46. So if you jump down all the way to the end of this interaction, they looked for a way to arrest him. But they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. So he's about to tell a story. We didn't read that story, but I want to read it real quickly as we wrap up this morning. He's about to tell the story that just gets them so mad because what's happening is the kingdom of God has come and they thought they were in charge of their own life. They thought they were in charge of their own thing and they're finding that there's this clash of kingdoms and Jesus is challenging. What are you going to do? How are you going to react? So this is the story. You ready for it? Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, 
He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Again, if you want to do a little history, read Isaiah chapter 5. This is Jesus basically retelling a story in Isaiah. Um, Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants, now this is where the story gets dark, because up to this point, everybody's like, okay, yeah, this makes sense, I get it, I get it. But verse 35, the tenants seized his servants, they beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Mm, That's not good behavior from your renters. Verse 36, then he sent other servants to them, more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. And then last of all, now we know what's going on in this story. We see, but they didn't know yet. Last of all, he sent his son. He said, they will respect my son. And respect is kind of a, a funny word there. It, it's not a really good translation, but they, they, the, the idea is surely they would not have, uh, they would be too ashamed to hurt, treat my son the same way. They would be too ashamed. They will respect my son. Surely they will respect my son. Um, Super duper quick little Hebrew lesson. Does anybody know off the top of their heads what the Hebrew word for son is? You, you, you do know, uh, but you may not know that you know it. Anybody know? That's right. You have one, right? You named him Ben. The Hebrew word for son is Ben. The Ben. The Ben. I will send my Ben to them, and they will respect him. They will respect my son, surely. Yeah. But you, did you even know that, Benjamin? It means son. Last of all, he sent his son. He sent the Ben to them. They will respect him, he said. But when the tenants saw the Ben, when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and take his inheritance. Remember, we look at this with 2,000 years of hindsight and we're like, I see what Jesus is doing here. They didn't know. They'll kill the Ben? What? And then he asks this question, verse 40. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? And this should have been a rhetorical question because the people who were listening to this had to know they were the ones getting in trouble here, but they answered it anyway. They answered it anyway. Uh, they said, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard out to other tenants. Ooh, there's all this stuff going on. Who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. And then Jesus feels like he, well, this seems like a non sequitur. Jesus said to them, have you never read the scriptures? And again, like if you're going to insult people who spent their entire lives studying the scriptures, this is a pretty good one, right? Oh, have you never read the scriptures? And then he quotes this, uh, he quotes Psalm 118. Listen, this is the psalm that they had been singing, that they had been shouting that very day. They knew this. And he uses it to talk about himself. He said, have you never read the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. I want another quick little Hebrew lesson. Does anybody know what the Hebrew word for stone is? <laughs> it's the eben. The ben that you rejected. And the eben that you rejected. You imagine as they were hearing this, like, oh, what Jesus is tying together. Like, no wonder they were so devastated. They read the Psalm 118 and they thought they were the heroes of the story. And Jesus says, no, you're the enemies. You're the ones who are rejecting Jesus because I have come to establish my kingdom and there is this clash of kingdoms. And you have rejected the sun. You have rejected the stone in the Hallel in in, in Psalm 118. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. And and the next two verses he says are just absolutely devastating. And even from 2,000 years away, I think we get a little brushback from this, what he says. This is so intense. Listen to this. Therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Oh, church, man, 
Does that not get to you a little bit? The kingdom of God will be taken away from you and will be given to a people who will produce its fruit. Man, if that doesn't make you feel a little bit like, oh, I got to do some introspection, then you got a, you've got a hard heart. But what he says next is what I really want to key on as we wrap up this morning. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. Parents, um, I think maybe 90% of our jobs are to do things that are painful to our children, but we do it because we love them, right? It feels like a lot of our jobs, at least. Um, I don't know about you, but waking children up in the morning, maybe your kids like to give up. There will, be, there will come a time where your kids don't want to give up. But, but waking them up in the morning, man, I don't want to. Why do I got to go to school? Well, you know, honestly, I don't know, but I'm sure it's good for you. <laughs> Everybody else is doing it, you know? It's good. Or uh, the other, this, earlier this week, we had to uh, pull a tooth from, from one of our children. Man, you would have thought we were waterboarding this child. It's a tooth. I know. It's got nerve endings and all. And I know some of you are like, just go to the dentist. Man, that costs money. Like, we're... we're <laughs> have you ever taken them to get shots? Why are you letting this strange human stab me? What is... It's for your own good because we love you. That doesn't make any sense to me. One thing, and this is just, you know, for free, I was not prepared for it as a parent. There, I've never heard this. This is the first time. Me telling you this is the first time I've ever heard anybody speak about this publicly. I was not prepared for how terrified my children would be of getting their toenails clipped. Does anybody else have that? Like, our, I'm like, you've got talons that are ripping through your socks. We've got to shave those things down. And you would just think that we were chopping their legs off at the ankle. They're just like so terrified of it. Why? It's good for you. Why? I don't, because you have to wear shoes. I don't know. But it's everything. It's making them go to school and brush their teeth and take a nap and take a bath. With kids, right? It's a constant clash of kingdoms, right? Constant. It just, it's all the time. And you parents, sometimes you're just like tired of it, especially by the third or fourth or fifth child. I just have a brother-in-law. They have child number eight. That kid is going to raise itself because they're just like, I mean, that's a lot of kids, right? Constant clash of kingdoms. Constant clash of kingdoms. And as parents, we win those battles. We want to win those battles because we want to develop. We want to grow a mature human being that is capable of operating within society. Listen, sometimes Jesus has to break us in order to save us from being crushed. This is so important, church. I've experienced this in my life. But sometimes Jesus has to break us. Oh, why are you letting that guy give me shots? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? Why are you doing this other thing? Because Jesus is trying to produce a mature, complete human being that is a follower of him. Sometimes Jesus has to break us in order to save us from being crushed. And so this is what I really want to truly leave you with, with this thought. And, and, and this, is, this is so important. If we could just take this thought home with us, this would be so valuable. When we run from his conviction, when we run from his judgment, we are running from his love. When we have that clash of kingdoms with Jesus, 
We have got to let him win because he knows what's best and he truly loves us. He wants what's best for us. So when you find your life veering away from the kingdom of God and and things are hard and things are difficult because of that, you've got to let Jesus back in because he loves you. It does hurt. It's painful. It's, it, it's, it doesn't feel good to be broken by Jesus. We want to run from that. But when we run from that, we are running from his love. So, let me wrap up by saying, may you believe that Jesus is a loving and gracious and merciful king who in his love will break you to make you a better person. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so grateful to be able to see how your word works, Lord, to see all the way back into the Psalms of of King David and the the fact that they were looking uh, for David to come back to the throne, but you sent someone so different. Uh, Lord, we thank you for sending Jesus. We thank you for giving us an opportunity to live in this kingdom in such a new and different way. Uh, Lord, we know that we struggle, we know that we fight, we know that we resist, but we pray that you would continue to break us down so that we can become fully devoted followers of you. Lord, we want to be disciples, and we know we don't always have our own best interests in mind. So we pray that your kingdom would come in our lives today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed.